Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we are talking about the 1995 sci-fi dystopian epic Strange Days. So I am joined by someone uh, for whom dystopian sci-fi is her jam, Jan Bottolieri. Hi, Jan. It is totally my jam jam. It is your jam jam. It is my jam jam. So <laughs> Why do you suppose dystopian sci-fi is your jam? You know, I actually was giving that a lot of thought. I, I was it. I was giving a lot of thought to why it it's a it's a sort of a subgenre that interests me so much. And then I was like, it's not it's almost not a subgenre because so much sci-fi is dystopian and i'm you know i started to think why is that right like why is why can't it be an interesting sci-fi utopian like star movie? trek yeah i would actually yeah i would say star trek's a utopian a sci-fi utopian because it 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 you know shows us a better uh, world right certainly from the Federation point of view, but why aren't more other sci-fi movies like that? And so I was giving that a lot of thought. Hmm. Well, we'll get into it. Um, we will be talking about Strange Days later. I want to remind everyone coming up on March 6th, we have F This Movie Fest coming up, which uh, <laughs> is uh, our all-Twitter film festival. Go to fthismovie.com and click on the F This Movie Fest tab at the top of the page to find out more about it but we're watching six movies from 1988 and tweeting along with them we're going to be watching beetlejuice willow who framed roger rabbit action jackson john carpenter's they live and capping everything off with die hard jan which one are you looking forward to the most holy shit this is like such a killer lineup um i in fact, I recently saw They Live, but I love that movie so much. Dystopian sci-fi. I know. I know. <laughs> um, but also, it's... I mean, Die Hard, like, you have to put Die Hard last. It is a showstopper. Um, but really, all of these... It's been a long time since I saw Willow. So in some ways, I'm looking forward to that most, not because it's the one I love the most, but because it will probably be the freshest. Okay. Um, Beetlejuice is just a winner always. It's always fun to watch. And, um, action, maybe Action Jackson, <laughs> maybe Action Jackson, because I do not think I've ever seen it. And I love new watches. Well, and that's kind of why I programmed that one. I usually like to slip one in that's going to be a discovery for a lot of people. And, uh, so I picked, cause that's, you know, I, I think it's, five heavy hitters from 1988 and then this one that not everybody has even heard of um but i think people are really really going to love it i think it's the mm -hmm. exact kind of right movie for this day and this event and the kind of movie that's really fun to kind of tweet through um so i'm excited for willow will probably be the freshest for me as well because it's been mm -hmm. so long since i last saw it um, although I probably have it memorized based on how many times I watched it when I was a kid, but Action Jackson mm -hmm. is the one I think I'm looking forward to the most because I think that's going to be the one that 
wins the most people over. Yeah, and also Roger Rabbit. So my son was born in 90. Uh, so when we went, I think, on our first trip to Disney World, or first or second trip, uh, Disney Studios was totally Roger Rabbit themed. And it was really, not totally, but there was a lot of Roger Rabbit. And so we watched that movie a lot, and um, which is a lot of fun. So I have a lot of fun memories uh, associated with that movie. And it's just, it's one of those movies that I think have that little edge that not all family movies have anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, again, super fun. I mean, you know what you're doing. I appreciate that. Uh, hopefully I know what I'm doing. I think it's going to be a fun day. I, I anticipate it being a success. Hopefully we get as many of you listening to join in as possible. Uh, again, go to fthismovie.com for details on the lineup and how to play along if you've never participated. But I'm, I'm guessing most of the people listening to this podcast have either heard of it or participated before in the past. Yes, but I have to throw this in. This is the perfect year to get your movie-liking friends in on the movie love. Do you know what I mean? Like, So you might not think to invite your friends who just like like movies to join us for this, right. but they are not doing anything else <laughs> and they love to be doing something. So I think this is a great time to um, sort of pull more people into the fold. So every F head that is listening, I challenge you to try to grab a friend or five who have never done it before and talk them into doing at least one movie with us. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. I am so glad you are. <laughs> I hope uh, listeners love it too. And I really think people would dig it. Like even people who we don't think of as inveterate movie lovers, right. I think it's just so fun and community and comfort of your own home. There's so many great things about F This Movie Fest. I think more people will love it if they try it. I like it. Um, I'm excited. Um Jan, have you seen anything good lately? Um, yes, I have seen some good stuff lately. What have I seen lately? Um, we've been watching a lot of television, and by a lot, I mean exactly as much as everyone else is watching. <laughs> um, but we've been, how about we've been a lot of enjoyment sure. for the watching of WandaVision. Yeah. And that made me want to watch Infinity Wars and Endgame again, which we did. And they're very rewatchable from home. They're just really a fun ride. Um, um, it, that that yeah. happens to me every week. The episode ends and it pulls up like, you may also like Avengers yeah. Age of Ultron. And I don't totally love that movie. But every week I feel like rewatching it because right? it's suggested to me by Disney Plus having just finished WandaVision. Yeah, and I think WandaVision captures a lot of the best parts of that Marvel universe, which is sort of the, there's sort of a, an offbeat. Even when things are, as we were talking about earlier, dystopian, there's also sort of a positivity to it. Yeah. Um, that I really like, and weird things can happen, and um, there's some, there's always characters who have a gee whiz quality to them or a we'll save America quality. 
um, that I really like in the Marvel universe particularly. So I think, um, yeah, it was really fun to watch those again, even though they weren't new to me. Um, what else have we, I, I really like news of the world. Okay. Um, I thought that was super interesting, sort of a, sort of an inside out Western. Yeah. You know, where instead of, instead of the man with no name who helps the people and then, you know, must leave because he cannot be part of the society as he has helped create. It's this man who left and is drawn back by the people he helps. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't, I, I, I didn't was, think of it that way, but that's really interesting. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a, kind of an interesting take. And then just comparing some of what goes on in that movie, um, you know, with people who, you know, it's, 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 it's following a really, um, it takes place in a very transitional time after a very divisive period in American history. And there are some people who aren't accepting change. And there's some people who are trying to speed the change. And just thought there was a lot of very subtle, well, not very subtle, but somewhat subtle and uh, applicable, um, thematic things going on that yeah. that were interesting yeah um so uh and again speaking of westerns i really liked first cow okay uh, we saw that i really liked that um we saw spontaneous okay which was uh, we, John and I, JB, as you know, is my housemate, my roommate, <laughs> my life mate, um, and my movie watching buddy here in quarantine, and and and, and, and all the time, yeah, yeah. We're you know we're married, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so spontaneous. We both really liked it. He thought it totally did not nail the ending. Uh, I was not as unhappy with the ending as he was. Okay. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Spontaneous? I, I really liked it. It made me very, very sad. Um, yeah. I had a hard time with it because of how much it made me think about death. Mm. Um, and I didn't even put it together at the time until I heard the director being interviewed, I think, on the Colors of the Dark podcast. He said, you know, it's based on a young adult novel. And he said, well, the novel is very clearly about school shootings. And it never occurred to me that the movie was about school shootings because yeah. I wasn't watching it through that lens. But as soon as he said it, it's like, oh, that totally makes sense. But that wasn't in my head as I watched the movie. Yeah, yeah. It was in, John, it was in our heads as we watched it. And maybe that's just John bringing his, um, you know, his, his teacher, his high school teacher right. uh, eyes to the movie. Um, and that's, I guess, why I was not as um, disappointed in the ending is he because in the end there. I think he wanted more. He wanted this final the character's final monologue. And I won't spoil the whole thing. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Um, he wanted there. To, he wanted it to be a, like a little kick, kicked up a little. He wanted it to be a little more special, a little more resonant for him. And I guess for me, like, I, I think that it can't be 
because it is about death and everything we say about death, everything we try to say positive about the role death plays in our lives and in our grief and in our experience of being human, um, it's, it's all platitudes, right? Those are like, yeah, those are dumb sayings we say to each other, like, you know, like thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, like, and, you know, maybe I'll just live for today. Well, yeah, like (laughs) just because it's a dumb platitude that you'd expect to read in a, you know, young adult novel, it doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, that's like been part of religious theory seize the moment and live for today and be in the moment like for thousands of years we've been trying to deal with that idea if we were all really good at it we wouldn't have to keep saying it at the end of movies (laughs) so we do need to be constantly reminded that it's a part of life and you have to live for today and you have to make the most of every moment because life is precious and I think it's supposed to sound a little bit trite and canned because that it's true it is trite and canned but that's all we've got that's all we've got i liked that it ended with the main character saying and that's why i feel spontaneous (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah i thought that was a nice touch (laughs) after a hundred minutes of sadness (laughs) plus i understood the title finally (laughs) which was nice I love it when it's a trick. <laughs> it's like Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Yeah, yeah, we saw Possessor. Yeah, JB talked about that a little on the show last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, again, I, I didn't... It's like it didn't stick with me. Like he... I said, what was that other one we saw? He said Possessor, and I'm like... Yeah, what was that one again? Mm-hmm. But but I I did Dystopian really enjoy sci-fi. it. Yeah, yeah. Hello. <laughs> um and we also recently watched Trial of the Chicago 7, which I've really been thinking about a lot too just just in context of political climate right, right. and Did you guys watch I haven't seen it yet, but did you have you watched um Judas and the Black Messiah? No, it's on our list. Okay. You haven't seen it yet either, though, right? No, we meant to watch it all weekend, and we had other stuff that we got to first, unfortunately, so we haven't seen it. But in, as a companion piece to Trial of the Chicago 7, I wonder how it plays. Yeah, but that, but see, here's the thing. and One of the things I love about movies, so to listeners, I know you're keeping a tote board, things Chan loves about movies, mm-hmm. because they need to know. They need to know. One thing I love about movies is when you see a movie and then later – you you'll find a movie that kind of kind of Venn diagrams with the movie you've seen and you feel like now you're even more glad you saw the first one because it's going to inform the second one Mm -hmm. and it gives you this whole another bridge to run back and forth across I love when that happens yeah you should have seen yesterday we ended up doing like a an informal triple feature um and all of the movies were kind of speaking to each other in these different ways. And Erica turned to me and said, wow, you really do know what you're doing. But it was completely <laughs> accidental 
because I Isn't hadn't seen I hadn't mm-hmm. seen two of the three in a long, long time and didn't remember that they have these elements and like, oh, this one's about baseball. And then later they play baseball in this movie. Like I didn't I wish I could take credit for all that, but I can't. But that, that, yeah. that is fun when you watch movies like that back to back and they start. Um, and that happens every year during F this movie fest, too, where people will start pointing out weird connections between the movies and pretending like I did it on purpose. And uh, and I did do it on purpose. You, and you did. That is how deep and efficient your brain is. And I, I will say that in at poetry readings, which I haven't obviously been to a live poetry reading in more than a year. Um, but at poetry readings, that happens all the time. Like someone will stand up and say, well, I already had these three pieces picked out to read. I didn't know they were going to be on exactly the same sort right. of theme right. as the last guy who I didn't even know was going to be here. So I love when that happens. It's it's our brains thrive on being able to make those associations and connections. I just I really think that's that's where creativity comes from and and personality and uh, so yeah, I, I love that. What were the three you saw? Um, well, we're watching a lot of um, everything I'm watching. Like is for something else, so they're all for articles <laughs> or podcasts. So yeah. yesterday we watched two 1988 movies and a 2005 movie. Um, uh-huh. uh, we watched because we're doing. We have our redoing our favorite movies of 2005 podcast. Coming up in the near future, we don't know exactly when. It depends on how quickly we can plow through all these other 2005 movies. But we uh, rewatched Steven Spielberg's remake of War of the Worlds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we watched two 1988 movies. One was called Stealing Home with Mark Harmon, a movie about yeah. baseball. Yeah, Jodie Foster, and then a movie called Sweetheart's Dance, which is about. Uh, two couples and one of them is splitting up and one of them is getting together. It's got Don Johnson and Susan Sarandon and Jeff Daniels and Elizabeth Perkins. Oh, wow. I feel like I've seen it, but 1980, it was a long time ago. It was, it was a long time ago. Um, but it would have been at like my peak movie watching <clears throat> efforts, pre kid post marriage. Like we just went to movies. Yeah. All the time yeah well and there were so many good movies that came out that year because as we were all looking at the list to think about like what we want to write about for 1988 week it becomes really really difficult because there's so many options there's so much stuff that you know a lot of us want to write about um i saw kingdom of heaven for the first time have you ever seen that it's from 2005 and i can talk about it because it's not going to be on my (laughs) list of favorites from 2005 i've heard about this movie for years and years and years like i remember when it came out we just didn't go to see it because i maybe was burned out on like two and a half hour religious epics or like movies where people fight with swords sort of post lord (laughs) of the rings um not that there were a ton of religious epics coming out at that time, but definitely movies about, you know, big sword battles were very popular okay. in the early to mid 2000s. And so we missed it. Um, and it had gotten mixed reviews. And then the DVD came out and it was this massive, like four disc set. And it restored the three hour and 15 minute version that Ridley Scott had wanted to put out. 
and people began hailing it as a masterpiece. And so I'm thinking of movies like Heaven's Gate or Once Upon a Time in America mm -hmm. that are heavily edited upon release, but then we get sort of the non-truncated version and people call it a masterpiece. And yet it still took me 16 years to see it. Um, so I finally saw the three-hour and 15-minute director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven, and it's not totally for me. Uh, it's very well done. I appreciate, I mean, Ridley Scott, obviously a great director. He made your favorite movie of all time. Um, yes, he did Aliens 3. Yes, no, exactly. Um, a Good Year starring <laughs> Russell Crowe. Yes, he did make my favorite movie of all time. He did. And, uh, he's a great filmmaker and he's able to stage, you know, these massive battles. And it was interesting to see a movie sort of try to tackle the Crusades, um, you know, yeah, I've never seen it. Okay. You can borrow our copy if you like. Well, I'll have to return your copy of Strange Days. <laughs> if you've got <laughs> if you've got three hours and fifteen minutes to kill, uh and you're I looking for Ridley Scott I do. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Even his movies that I don't love are worth seeing. Um at the center of the movie is Orlando Bloom, and this is nothing no offense to Mr. Bloom, but it just seems like this was the peak of Hollywood really trying to make him happen because he had this yeah. and Elizabeth town come out in the same year. And I've certainly liked him in stuff. I enjoy him in the Lord of the Rings movies. I like yeah. him. I think he serves his function in the pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, but he is a little bit of a blank slate upon which I believe we are meant to project something and at this, I just think he kind of got swallowed up at the center of this movie because it's so, so massive. Yeah, um, yeah I would imagine you need like a certain charisma. Yeah, maybe. And that's he different does. from talent or right. just like there's an energy that some people have. I'm making a gesture, an expansive gesture <laughs> with my hands. And some people may really love Orlando Bloom, and for them, he holds the center of this movie, and that is great. Uh, he did not really for me. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm. I'm. I'm not not a fan. Sure, that's how I feel. I'm not like anti Orlando Bloom. <laughs> yeah. I'm just not super pro Orlando Bloom. Yeah. I'm like an Orlando Bloom agnostic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. You neither confirm nor deny Orlando Bloom. <laughs> the existence of Orlando Bloom. <laughs> um, we saw Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yeah, I want to see that. We saw it twice uh, <laughs> because... <laughs> so it's funny. I watched uh, just a short, like, 30-second spot. It didn't really do anything for me, the advertisement. Uh, it's the first movie written by Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo since mm -hmm. Bridesmaids 10 years ago. And so, you know, okay, the two of them coming back together and writing a comedy sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. But I watched the little 30-second spot, and it was like, oh, here they are. It looked like Mom Jeans the movie, where it was like, here yeah. they are in wigs, <laughs> doing these Nebraska accents, and yeah. now they go on vacation. Yeah. And in some ways, that's the movie. And in many ways, that is not the movie. Um, oh, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's like a lot of the plot deals with like James Bondian supervillains and spy shit. And I was not anticipating that from the 32nd spot that I saw. Um, it is a deeply, deeply silly movie. 
And, and I mean that in the best way. Like I've said yeah. many times on this podcast that my favorite comedies are the ones where it feels like people are getting away with something. And I yeah. think that's true of like Billy Madison. I think that's true of Hot Rod. I think that's true of MacGruber. And I'm just naming SNL comedies basically mm-hmm. right now. But mm-hmm. um, I do have a soft spot for MacGruber, I will say. That. Yes, because it's like no one was looking and they made this insane movie. Yes. And that's what this is. This is a silly, silly movie that, like, I didn't even... The first time we watched it, I didn't even necessarily laugh a ton. I definitely laughed, but I didn't laugh a ton. But I just sat there saying, like, this is really funny. This is this is inspired. Knowing that the more times I revisit it, the more things I will find to appreciate in it. And we were near the end of the movie... And there's this montage of all this ridiculous imagery as they're looking back on their lives, the characters. And my daughter had come down from bed and just saw this little montage. And she said, what is this? And we told her. (laughs) And she said, I want to watch this. So the next day, which was Valentine's Day, we got the most out of our $20 Amazon rental. (laughs) And we watched it again, (laughs) this time with the kids. Um, it's not totally a kid's movie. There's some sex stuff in there that had them like turning to us like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and they, Although, oh, go ahead. If you're going to show them sex stuff, show them in a movie that is silly because yes. they're, they're young enough to, that's a, that's a kind of a gentle introduction to the weirdness of what sex is. You might as well right. <laughs> pique their interest in a, in a non-threatening, non-violent way. Well, and when we showed them Basic Instinct, they were just bored by it. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Douglas is not their everyman, I think, is the issue that they took. Um, Yeah, and I'm sure they felt the rabbit deserved it. (laughs) That's fatal attraction. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I highly recommend Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Um, I'm going to tell JB I want to watch that tonight. Yeah, it's it's very much worth watching. It's very, very, very silly and very funny. I like funny and silly. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, one of my most anticipated movies of 2021, thankfully came out in the early weeks of 2021, and that is Willy's Wonderland. Oh, mo- yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie in which Nicolas Cage... Uh, goes into uh, like a showbiz pizza or a Chuck E. Cheese that has been possessed by Satanists from beyond the grave and has to fight off all of the animatronic robots. Oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. Well, weirdly enough, it's like the second movie to have that plot in a year because a a year ago um, they made Uh, the Banana Splits movie. That's it. That's it. That's it. Because I love Banana Splits when I was a kid, but that this is not. This is not Banana Splits. I was. Banana Splits. I, I actually didn't care for the Banana Splits movie. Like it's okay, but I was a little bit offended because I too liked the Banana Splits when I was a kid, and I was like, well, you can't just turn them into murderous robots. No. That's not a fair adaptation of this material. You know, he says right. as though there's some sort of pure material that the banana splits were working with when they went down that big slide. Yeah. Tra la la. <laughs> I didn't love the banana splits movie. I, I really enjoyed Willie's Wonderland. 
Uh, and I, the thing is, I'm inclined to enjoy it, right? Because it's got Nicolas Cage and he's punching robots and uh, it's very gory and very silly and very funny. And uh, I had a really good time with it. I don't know that I would... It's another one that's like $20 to rent on Amazon. I don't know that I would recommend that everyone spend the $20 to rent it. It comes out on Blu-ray in like April, which means you'll probably be able to rent it for cheaper before then. I'm just saying like, if I wholeheartedly recommend it, a lot of people are going to spend $20 and probably feel disappointed. So I'm saying I was inclined to enjoy it and I enjoyed it. I can only report on my experiences. I can't promise that everyone else will have the same results. I can see Nicolas Cage committing to this movie in a way that makes it incredibly fun to watch. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. Okay. I'd be on board. Yeah. I bet John would be too. Yeah. And why couldn't they just make, why, see, why couldn't they just make a live action, um, banana splits movie for families with the banana splits? What's such a weird choice to turn it into this five nights at Freddy's thing. I don't know. Yeah. Turn it into I don't I don't know what's a good live action family film. Um, turn it into one of those. Yeah, surely, yeah. surely some of those have been made. Like, I mean, they did it with Scooby Doo. I don't know how successful because I've never seen those movies. Oh, I have. Uh, but I will tell you what: as a kid, I would have preferred to watch, and I I really liked Scooby Doo as a kid too. But yeah. I would have picked Banana Splits. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they chose to do it that way. And I was disappointed by that movie. I thought Willy's Wonderland was a much better execution of a similar conceit. Was um, was Nicolas Cage um, flipping like a pancake and popping like a cork? I assume so. <laughs> the former, not the latter. <laughs> um, should we talk about Strange Days? Yes. All right. Um, we should talk about Strange Days. I thought it was super funny um, <laughs> because I have just always dug. I, I've always just enjoyed the um, Bob and Doug McKenzie shtick. Oh so. dear. Oh, I don't know how to say this. What? You 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 accidentally watched Strange Brew. What? The Bob and Doug McKenzie movie. What was I supposed to? <laughs> Uh, you were supposed to watch Ray Fiennes saying take off hoser oh yes but he says it in like an English accent so well he has an American accent in this movie actually um strange (laughs) (laughs) well that's true he has some sort of accent um strange days was a a recommendation uh, for us to podcast on from a listener William Lanham and I think between that recommendation and rewatching The Doors recently, where Strange Days played on the soundtrack, yeah, 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 it was sort of the confluence of these two events where I was like, Strange Days might make a really good show. And so I had pitched it to you, this movie or a different movie, and you went with Strange Days because you weren't sure if you had ever seen it, correct? And I have. You have but, seen it. Yeah, I think I was like injured as a child, like on my brain. <laughs> I do not have a good memory. This is something that people know about me who know me well. Um, And uh, so the 
it's one of those things like as I watched it, little things kept coming back, but it was still fresh enough so that I was still surprised when those things happened for the first time. Okay. I, so it was great. And it really was up my alley. I so. had, uh, I hadn't seen it probably in 20 years. Um, it had been a really long time, but as I rewatched it, I was surprised. At, I, I think I had this movie on Laserdisc and must have watched it a real yeah. lot on Laserdisc because everything was very familiar to me. Like, I really was, all of the beats were there as they were unfolding. I was like, yep, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. So this must have been a movie I watched a lot of times at a certain point in my life, but hadn't seen in like 20 years. Yeah. Um, it's kind of great. It is. Yeah. It is. It's not okay. Everyone who's heard me on this podcast knows that Blade Runner is my famous. My not famous. My it is famous. Blade Runner is <laughs> it's my a famous favorite. Movie. It is a famous. Let me start over. <laughs> it's famous, famous for being your favorite movie. Yes, I am famous for loving Blade Runner. Blade famous Runner. for writing an entire book of poems about Blade Runner. I did write a book of poems about Blade Runner. Um, I love that movie that much. I loved writing the book of poems. Check it out. It's on Amazon. Um, yeah, it is. Everything is significant. Thank you. Yes, it is. Oh, that's the title of my book. Your yes. book is called Strange Brew. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's no Blade Runner, but it's really... Wait, is that the measurement we're using? <laughs> No, how could it be? Because what movie is? Uh, no. I give this movie. I give Strange Day. I give Strange Days four Blade Runners out it's of out of six and a half. <laughs> All right. Um, but like clearly, there's so much. There are so many. I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but thematic callbacks, visual callbacks. And I think it's really um, purposeful on Catherine Bigelow's part that that the movie taps into that Blade Runner aesthetic and vibe. I mean, they're just score cues that are very similar to Blade Runner. Um, you know, there's that shot at the beginning of the single eye that fills the frame, which is, you know, one of Blade Runner's classic right. moments. And I think that was really intentional and purposeful um, on the filmmaker's part because what what Strange Days is is this movie that's made in our past about the near future which is now also in our past and it draws from this well of a movie made in its past about a future that is even beyond the future that Strange Days is about. Right. Okay. So I think, I think a lot of those borrowed images and the, those borrowed vibes are to propel us um, as a viewer propel us into more of an openness about how near the future is that strange days is about in its own time. I Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I kind of had forgotten. I just finished saying like, I remembered so much about this movie and then I kind of forgot that it took place 
as recent as 1999. Uh, it was released in 95, so it was taking place just four years in the future. Um, I would have said it took place in, you know, 2019 or just a little bit further off right. because obviously we had developed this squid technology that, um, but watch, was it, was it weird to watch in 2021? Um, because so much, and we'll be spoiling strange days. So our apologies, because we have to talk about everything that happens in this movie. And it's a movie that's a little bit hard to come by. It's not streaming anywhere. Um, the DVD is not great. There, mm. there mm. is a German Blu-ray that exists. There's a British Blu-ray that I don't think is great. There's a German Blu-ray that I inquired to uh, my friend and physical media expert Brian Sauer and he like was quality checking it for me as we were texting and he said looks pretty good so I went ahead and ordered that on eBay um, but it's not a super easy movie to see so I apologize if you do if you've never seen Strange Days and you want to see it I suggest that maybe you hold off on listening to the rest of this podcast um, yes. because I do suggest you know check out like pause right now go check out something about the movie <laughs> And if it sounds, if there's anything about it that sounds like it might interest you, watch it. Yeah. It's really worth watching. Yeah. And it's very prescient to current times. And I don't think I'm just like, so you hadn't seen it for like 20 years, but when you rewatched it recently, didn't you kind of have this feeling over and over like, shit, that's just like now? Yes. Well, that's kind of where I was going with this by saying, like, it's weird to watch this in 2021. Had we recorded this episode, I don't know, three years ago, it would have been a very different experience watching it because there's so much that's reminiscent of... Um, that's all right. Uh, the Black Lives Sorry, Matter <laughs> movement, the protests, the unfortunate executions of black men by police officers yeah. that we've been seeing again and again. I mean, that's ultimately what is at the heart of this movie. And then even just the squid technology and this idea that we're able to record all of our experiences first person. Now we, we don't have the ability yet to like jack in and re-experience them virtually. Right. But everybody running around first person with iPhones filming everything. I mean, this movie yep. predicts a lot of stuff and, yep. and ultimately the sad truth is it's not even predicting something like the murder of George Floyd. It's merely recreating the beating of Rodney King. You know, James Cameron kind of <laughs> thought of the movie after what happened with Rodney King and the ensuing riots. And so it's like, wow, this is really predicting the future. Like, no, this is just commenting on the present of 1995, the past of 1991. Like, yep. this is our history. This is an unfortunate constant, I should say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what makes it such an interesting kind of uh, time twisting, because it doesn't seem like the past, you know, and the future that it imagines for itself is so real to what we have now, that it's almost as if at the time, it wasn't actually moving the needle very far on where actual reality was going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, um, 
it was just saying, what if things didn't really calm down after the, I mean, the, the LA riots were terrible. And I think they um, were really influential for artists at that time, because if you, if you weren't already a grown up back in those days, you might've missed how, you know, just how awful it was and just how much it was in the news and just how it consumed politics and, and, and the national conversation. Um, but I remember that. And so things eventually kind of in normal everyday life by 1995, it was no longer the only central thing that was talked about on the news. Right. But like, I think this movie is saying, well, shouldn't it have been? Right. Should we be on track to to either change this shit with a major, major, some sort of major moment, major, you know, change? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't this be our future? Yeah. And so I think they. You know, I think it's really, um, again, intentional that it takes place on, um, you know, the last day of of the 20th century and the first day of the 21st century, because I think it's this theme that the movie is calling for of change, right? That that things are terrible and people have to do something about it. Which, again, makes it even more depressing that the movie is 25 years old. I know. And set in the future, and yet here we are still facing yeah. these same atrocities. Yeah. But again, you know, speaking of the future just as a thematic concept as well as a setting, right? Um, the whole street scene of this movie's near future, 1999 of this constant chaos and just cars on fire in the middle of the road and, and club girls, you know, mugging Santa Claus, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just cops and riot gear everywhere. And it had a real children of men vibe for me. And so I'm like, why, you know, there's kids, but you know, why, why is that children? And I think it's this idea that when we stop thinking that we can have a better future. It's like, what's the what's anything fucking worth? Right. And and so certainly that's children of men. If there are no children, you know, there can't be a future. But here, if there's no, it's like if there's no justice, we also can't have a future. Right. This is not, this is not the future we want. Um, people stop caring because it's all bullshit. Right. And I, you know, in today's climate, I worry that on both sides of the divide, people are starting to feel the same way. What's the point? We're never going to agree. Yeah. We're always going to think the other side sucks. Why don't we just all burn it down? I'm sorry, did I get too heavy? Yeah, this got very depressing very fast. I just wanted to talk about this cool sci-fi movie about (laughs) virtual reality. Mm. Can I say, I think the movie (laughs) makes a very good case 
that we shouldn't burn it all down and that there is always hope for change and there are ways to grow into being the people who can make that change? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially represented by just one character. Yeah. Right. I mean, this that what you're what you're putting forth is essentially the Angela Bassett character, who's sort of the moral and ethical conscience of the movie throughout, um, almost to a heavy-handed degree. Because again, James Cameron, whom I love, uh, has a hand in this movie. He had a hand in the story and the screenplay, and he can be heavy-handed. Unfortunately, yeah. There are, there are a few beats where. <laughs> You you have to remember it's James Cameron and right. uh, that that who who wrote these lines. But I will say every performance is so great in yeah. this movie. Julia Lewis is great. Ralph Fiennes is great. Yeah, like everyone. Bassett is she's so kick ass and so gorgeous in this movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but even the character of Lenny, who's Played by Ralph Fine. Is that how am I saying his name? I think right? it's Rafe. Rafe? Yeah. Rafe Fine. Um, Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> so Rafe Fine, um, he's a character who is stuck in his past. He he can't He's kind of stuck as a child almost, sort of um, by wanting what he wants, right. by fantasizing about um, a past that is not as perfect as he likes to pretend it was. Um, he has this awesome woman right in front of him. <laughs> ready to love him, ready to give him a family. Um, and he can't see it because he treats her like his mom. Right. Their relationship, not to go off track for a second here, but I almost feel like the movie missteps by trying to make their relationship romantic. I, mm, I don't mm. feel like it earns it when they kiss at the end. Um, and I would have been fine, you know, at one point Mace says, I care about you, Lenny, more than you probably know. And it certainly hints at what we're getting at, right? That she's, she's, uh, she's the Mary Stuart Masterson to his Eric Stoltz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I might have been fine with them leaving it at that. Because when they do kiss at the end, I'm like, well, I don't know if you guys have had any romantic chemistry throughout this movie. Partially because, you know, the Lenny character is so up his own ass for so much of the movie that, like, yeah. that redemption comes in the very final moments of the movie. And uh, I'm not sure it totally earns it. Having said that, not a deal breaker. Still really like this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I... I'm glad it happened because she earned it. Angela Bassett's <laughs> character, Mace, she, that's what she wanted. She was, I think they, I think it's pretty clear that she's kind of been in love with him. Yeah. Since she saw, she saw the, the kindness that he brought in chaos years later to her son. Yeah. 
right? And so she sees that in him. She sees that potential in him. And she's been loving him from afar. So to me, it's satisfying, not because he earned it, (laughs) but because (laughs) she's been through so much shit that if she loves him, I'm not going to judge her. She deserves a kiss from the man (laughs) she loves. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a little problematic and by problematic, I don't really mean a problem in the movie. I think the movie knows what it's doing when it does this, but at the end, nothing really changes until the old white man says it can. Well, right. And that, that I think if you're, if you're, if you're looking for that sort of thing, you know, you, you, it, it's, it's really obvious. If you're not already on that kind of woke page, <laughs> I don't know, you might, you might miss it because that's just so typical. There's always the guy, the white guy in charge, who has to finally say it's okay for things to, to really be fixed. Right. Um, but again, I think the movie, I think Catherine Bigelow knows what she's doing when she does when when she she does that you know when she directs it to happen that way okay in terms of like in terms of saying that this is like actually true of certain power structures in terms of playing off of a specific trope that we are familiar with because i saw that and i was just like well it was 1995 you know and that's what yes. movies were then i guess See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's so expected. Yeah. Um, but maybe maybe it's partly because I forget that actor's name. Do you recall it? Joseph Summer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So he very often plays the like the <laughs> always, <guy>. yeah. <laughs> he's like the guy who the the senator and, and right, right. But then it turns out he's like at the center of the debauchery <laughs> behind the scenes. Um so the fact that that uh, Lenny says, no, you know what? I hate this guy, but he's, he's honest. It's like the only time Lenny is really a good judge of people and right. their relationship to him. Yeah. Um, and I think there's this, I think there's this sort of message under that of, you know, we don't have to like people. We don't have to like the people in power to recognize their power we don't have to like the people who are being honest with us mm-hmm. or the, we don't have to like the people who are being moral with us if we respect their morality right and and, and i think that's i think that's a good message to have right now too we don't have to agree with a person like them i mean there's the old, who would you rather have a beer with? Oof. Right? I hate that. Like, <laughs> that ruined. Who do I want a fucking beer? Right. I can drink a fucking beer alone. Right. Like, who do I want to have a beer with? The guy who's going to give me health care. I, <laughs> I, you know, I don't care if he doesn't want to have beer with me. Right. <laughs> I just want, you know what I mean? So I think, I think that is a good message to remember now. You know, maybe there are people who I could, like, enjoy having a beer with who 
I wouldn't respect their decisions and their morality. And maybe those the morality is more important than the tribe. Right? Yeah. So. I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, an example right now. And I can't just because of the way that the last few years have gotten where it's the divide has grown so much wider. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of like, well, I don't agree with that person, but I respect his ability to be honest and moral with me, even if we are not on the same page. And I am not thinking of anyone right now. Right. I, That's I depressing. can't either offhand. I mean, <laughs> sometimes that sort of begrudging respect. Yeah. It happens sometimes in the movies, but, um, but I, I think, I, I think that in this movie, it's really interesting. Why would they, otherwise, why would they have that scene where they meet earlier and they, you know, they have snarky words with right, each other. Right. I, you know, I, so I think it's, I think that's part of it and you know i and i think that's part of lenny's um growing up yeah for sure he doesn't do a ton of growing up in the movie which is just barely enough yeah which, <laughs> which just barely enough at the end to, to know he's on the right path which is accurate you know because i think where he starts i think to have him transform into this radically different person would be so dishonest um to the character and you know the the movie is using a lot of like film noir tropes and he's sort of our flawed anti-hero um yep. and i think that the promise of growth, I think, is much more accurate than seeing him become like the oh, exactly. the leader of a movement or something, you know, like yeah, that's no, he's not going to be that guy, right? But at least at when it really counted, he, you know, he thought he thought his friend was going to get shot, and he shielded her with his body, right? You know, I mean, that's. Maybe part of the message is you don't have to, you know, turn into this this Captain America hero if you could just do the right thing every once in a while. It's gonna help. <laughs> right. If you can, if you can be, a, if you can have your flexible morality with your fake Rolexes, and you, know, <laughs> you, can, you can be kind of this skeevy guy who is weirdly worrying about the color of his own tie when the world is burning around him, if if when it really counts, you shield your friend from bullets with your body. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a lot of criticism that Ray Fiennes was miscast and that the the Lenny character should have been... I didn't read anybody that was recommended. I read a bunch of people who were considered, one of which was Andy Garcia, that, that, that they should have been more believably skeezy. The first person that comes to mind is James Woods. You know, would James Woods have been hmm. a better Lenny Nero. And maybe, because he certainly would have been slimier, uh, would I have bought his redemption at the end? I don't know. Especially because I know who James Woods is now as a person. <laughs> so now I just can't, I can't watch him be redeemed on screen. I'm kidding, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. I can still watch James Woods on screen. It's fine. Um, he rules, you know, in certain kinds sure. of roles. He's great. Um, he rules those roles. Yeah. Um, He's a role 
I don't really have a problem with Ray Fiennes in the movie. Like, yeah, I don't at all. I think he's good. Yeah, I want him to be. I think he's plenty skeevy, actually. <laughs> like, just like the way he he gets rides off of Mace. Like, just the right. way he's like, oh, my car's getting towed. Um, because you also more important to me. If you if you want to believe if you need to believe one thing about that character, I think you need to believe that when he watches some of those tapes that the killer he's trying to find have made, they're horrifying. Right. And you need to believe that he is affected on a visceral level, not just because he's repelled by the violence, not just because he's repelled by the imagery, but because he's repelled by the, the experience that the, that he's so moved by empathy, right? He, right. It's, it's hard for him to watch because he, he cares about people and he cares about that experience. And he has that moral line. That's the thing you need to believe about him the most. And that, I think, would be hard for some actors to do. It's hard to watch him watching those tapes. Yeah. And I think it should be. You know, we're talking, I mean, it's a movie that's really, really um, obsessed, like Blade Runner is, with the the idea of um, of us watching them, watching what they're watching, and the other, you know, how that watches us back, just the eye, the view, the mirroring of experience between people. Mm -hmm. Both Blade Runner and Strange Days are obsessed with that back and forth mirroring of imagery, you know, gazing into the mirror and the mirror looking back at you. And that's how they involve us. So we, we, would, we would really need to be able to buy it. It has to be hard for us to watch him watch that. Right. I don't, I think James would, <laughs> James. would not have done as good a job because he doesn't have this sort of same boyish weakness that Ray Fiennes has. Yeah, well, that's the thing is uh, James Woods plays a great scumbag. And I'm thinking specifically of like Max Wren in Videodrome. Max Wren in yeah, Videodrome that's doesn't. exactly what I was thinking of, too. And, he... and that doesn't mean I think he's a scumbag. No. He's great at that he's a great scumbag and he he doesn't necessarily have that moral line and you know the movie sets it up right at the right at the top that he has this moral line just mm -hmm. just the notion that i don't deal in snuff yeah and it's one no of those way. things that james cameron is so good at doing in in revealing exposition through action because we watch this lengthy uh, first-person robbery that leads to a guy falling off a building and dying and yeah. part of it is to introduce the technology. Part of it is to introduce, uh, part of it is just a show off -y kind of a technical marvel, which almost seems quaint now by today's standards, because again, yeah. anybody with a GoPro could do exactly that segment without any hidden cuts, you know, and they're having to right. hide all these cuts and uh, essentially build new technology in order to create that opening sequence. They had to like... Yeah, did you listen to Catherine Bigelow's explanation on the commentary track about that? I did not. It was fascinating. Like, it was really hard. Yeah. 
because she's looking for that line between handheld and she doesn't want it to be like smooth as a steady cam, but she doesn't want to make people vomit by, you know, by taking them on this wild ride. And it was really hard to get for her. And she, you know, I really respect to what lengths she went to with, like you said, inventing the technology to make this possible. And now it's almost sad that it would be easy to do with a GoPro. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, there's an, you know, Hardcore Henry is an entire movie shot that way. Um, It's all first person and they weren't shooting it on GoPros, but like you could do a tire. Anyway. um, So it introduces the technology. It's the show offy kind of technical thing, but it also introduces the morality of Lenny Nero, which is, I don't deal in snuff. I don't want this tape because the guy dies at the end. And so we already have that notion of his empathy as a human being, the lines that he won't cross. Um, And so when it comes up again later with these tapes of these horrible, like first person rapes, um, that it's that much more horrifying for him to watch and experience because again, we're putting the squid headpiece on the victim and it's, it's really fucked up. Yeah, it is. And again, it's that he's watching her watching herself. Right. So it, that's the mirror of us watching him watching her. Right. Um, another thing I love that that opening sequence does is you know, you go to a movie theater and the movie starts. You think this is the movie. Right. But it's not. Right. And so it it sets up on not only not only te- sets up the technology that it exists, but sets up the experience of the technology. So we accept it when we see other people do it because we got tricked into it. At the right. If this technology existed... Would you do it? Honestly, I don't think so. I've never... Okay, I can't say I've never tried virtual reality because I've tried it only a little bit in a work sense. Um, I work in uh, in a manufacturing industry, and so I was at a conference once where I, I tried on... A sort of a virtual virtual reality view of a machine, right? Right. So I couldn't. So it's just a way of seeing the machine without actually being near the machine, so it's safer, right? But that's it. Like I've never. I don't play a lot of video games. I don't really enjoy the experience of. Um, of being consumed like that. Right. It doesn't feel comfortable or it doesn't feel comfortable to me. I think I'd be more like Mace's in the movie. She just, she says she's just not into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm the, this is why I've never tried like drugs because I'm terrified of not being in control of my own body. Exactly. And that's exactly what, you know, you're taking on somebody else's experiences completely. And you are essentially not in control of your own body for however long you are jacked in. And I, don't think I would enjoy that. No, and that is exactly why I've never tried drugs. And, oh, I was in high school in the 70s. <laughs> like, I was definitely... They passed out joints in homeroom. I'm sorry, but yeah, almost. <laughs> like, it was like, really... I mean, like, at, in my high school, there was a shed where everybody just went at lunch and smoked. And, like, 
it wasn't a secret. Like that's right. what it was for. Right. Like it was to give students a place to go smoke. So I don't know what to say. Um, so yeah, but it's exactly that. I'm again going back to going to back to Blade Runner and my obsession with that film that made me want to write an entire book of poetry that explores that film. Memory is super important to me, partly because I have a terrible memory. So my own experiences are so fragile to me that I, I, I'm really afraid I would inadvertently replace some truth of my own memory, which, which Lenny sort of does in this. I mean, I think it's interesting that he pedals, like when he, when he has that long speech to that, and it's a scene I really like when he's talking, I'm the magic man, yeah, right? Yeah. He tells that lawyer, do you want to be someone else? Do you want to do something dangerous? You can have an affair and never tarnish your wedding ring. Right. Right. So that's what he sells, but that's not what he does. He goes home and he roller skates with his girlfriend. Right. Just get a new girlfriend and buy some skates. Like, <laughs> well, he's not great at it. No, he's not. But that's part of the charm. Oh, that's part. It's mm, so cute. <laughs> um. So yeah, why does he do that? Right? Like he sells it as one thing. He uses it for another thing. And when you when you compare that, you realize, oh, but he is doing that. He's being a different person in those in those tapes that he watches and rewatches. He's an old Lenny that he right. that he's trying to hang on to. Right. I'm afraid that would happen to me and I would I would lose my connection to what was real and I would replace it with a fake memory. Do you, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's really super scary to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I would be more open to the idea of doing like what he does in terms of like reliving his own past experiences, because at least then you still feel like you're in your own body. But yeah. Yeah. But I still it would. Be, but it is right. Wow. Erasing the that the memory of that experience. And replacing it with a tape of the memory. Right. Of that experience. Right. The way, have you ever seen an old photo and you remember what's in the photo, but you worry that the only reason you remember it is because you have the photo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So everybody's experienced that. Right. Yeah. I think that's what he's doing, though, is he's escaping reality and recasting himself. And that's why he can't move forward. Right. And I, I think that. You know, John said something really interesting while we were watching it. John's like, oh, he's the media. He'll give you whatever you want, whether it's good for you or not. Um, you know, that's kind of what he's selling, um, which I thought was interesting. But I think it's really important to his character to understand that it is keeping him from growing and changing. Right. And I think the movie is saying we have to... We have to accept the real truths about what's going on before we can change things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, but it's it, it's interesting that 
the technology is used in different ways because in Lenny, <laughs> it's used as a weapon against him to prevent him from acknowledging the real truth. Yeah. Later in the film, it's used as a tool to mm -hmm. expose the real truth of what's going on. Yeah. It's used to trap him right. at one point where he can't not act on what the tape has shown him, which is exactly what the killer wants him to do. Yeah. Um, and I had this false memory, speaking of, <laughs> of the way this movie ended. Because I, I told you I couldn't remember seeing it, but then as I watched it, I'm like, oh, I have seen this. I remember this. I remember that. It ends with Angela Bassett saying, these certainly are strange days. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> um, and then Nicolas Cage comes out and punches the banana split. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, by the way, he was one of the people, I guess, considered for Lenny Nero. Would have crushed it. Oh, Absolutely. Because I could, could do totally... both, could be slimy yeah. and could do the thing that Ray Fiennes does, which is like discover his empathy and, and be tortured yeah. as he watches the, the tape. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And be a believable momentary hero without having to be, you know, without having to make some sort of false. Right. Aggrandizing change. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Nicholas Cage. Oh, that's another thing. Quick, go back to the beginning. Let's start over. All right. This was a good run through. Yeah. Okay. Another good thing I watched recently. Oh, yeah. Moonstruck. Oh, that movie's good. That movie's so good. And Nicholas Cage is so good in it. Yes, and he's he just is. like, he's, he's just so good in it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Chop that part out and put it at the beginning. Just like his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. Um, so what were we talking about? So yeah, Strange Days. The various ways that the, that the that it's used in like almost yes. diametrically opposed uh, yes. ways. Exactly. And I had this false memory that this movie ended with Angela Bassett, Mace, somehow <laughs> playing the tape of Jericho's murder on the big screen at the New Year's party. Like I was weirdly waiting for that too, so we both had the same false memory, right? And I think and that's because that's what the movies have taught us. That that's the convention that the movies have taught us. Yes. That in another movie, that's exactly what they would have done. Yes. Now let me ask you this: Do you think that would have been the right thing to do, not for the movie, but if the movie was real? Would that have been good? Well, obviously, I think it would have been very dangerous in the moment because it would have incited a full riot, I think. Um, uh, yeah. But is it better in the long run? I couldn't say. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I'm really glad to hear you kind of were expecting that, too, and that you ha had the same thought as I did, that it was because so many movies would have done that, mm -hmm. right? I Just do by think... virtue of the fact that there's a giant screen. Yeah. It's Chekhov's yeah. giant screen, you know? It's like, well, clearly they're going to play the tape on the giant screen. Yes. That's but then they accidentally happened. play Ray Fine's roller skating. 
Right. <laughs> um, or Juliet Lewis being a singing star, which she actually, I think, pulls off pretty well in this movie. She's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just her. And again, a character who changes. And but becomes awful. Oh, absolutely awful. And then even but, more awful than you knew. Like, you know that she's yeah. become awful. She's kind of sold out. She uh, is Michael Wincott's girlfriend now, by the way. Second appearance of Michael Wincott on this podcast in three weeks because he was in The Doors as well. So that's good. More Wincott. Um, yeah, talk about a scumbag. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, he's playing kind of like a nice guy in The Doors, which makes no sense. He's much more appropriately cast in this oh, movie yeah. because he's oh, yeah. terrifying. He oozes out of him. Yeah, yeah he's just like, ooh. <laughs> um, but then when you find out she's fucking Tom Sizemore, you're like, oh, my God, she's even worse than I knew. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when I said Lenny's not a great judge of character, like that's his best friend. <laughs> he picked a, a man who literally spoilers for strange yeah, days, yeah, yeah. dabs him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Cameron. Right. Yeah. And like, what should we? What should we name this skanky girl who sleeps with everybody? Faith. Faith. He <laughs> lost faith. Get it? He's not yeah, a cop he literally anymore. says he lost faith. Um, but yeah, so she changes to the exact opposite way yeah. that the world should be changing, that people <laughs> should be changing. And when Lenny realizes that, that is what finally is able him to let go. But also, like, I also believe that she kind of loves him. Yeah, I do, too. Um, I think we see that in the way that the way that she pushes him away is in that yeah. that old yeller way. Right. Was it old yeller? <laughs> what I told you. Yeah. <laughs> you're a bad dog like, go away i don't even love you anymore get i started yelling at the screen yeah get old yeah <laughs> right it's that same kind of a thing um yeah. it is weird that he doesn't figure out that she's awful until he finds out she's been fucking tom sizemore and i think that finally also you know and he says this line like what you what we had you could never touch. I don't even care that you're fucking my girlfriend because you could never have what I had with her. I think that's what finally makes him think to his set, to himself, you know what? She never had it either. Yeah. I'm the only one who had it. It's <laughs> all in my head. <laughs> and maybe I should move on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting, though. Another really interesting character play and interplay there. Yeah, I, I mean, I like that piece of the movie that part of his arc is getting over this woman who broke his heart. Um, and again, plays into those kind of film noir tropes, casting her as the femme mm -hmm. fatale and Angela Bassett as sort of the, you know, quote unquote, pure or good girl um, who he should be with but can't see it because he's hung up on the femme fatale. I was fascinated as I watched the movie by how long it takes to sort of reveal what its central plot is. It's a lot of like world building. And I don't think it's I actually think the world building is done really well. 
and not super clumsy or heavy handed. But I mean, it's well into this movie before he sees what's on the tape. Yes. Although um, I kind of, and it could be just because I had watched it in the past, so it might have been buried deep in my subconscious. I kind of figured it out like ahead of time sure. that that was on the tape and that that's what it was going to be. And again, talking about movies speaking to each other, there are so many nods to Blade Runner in this movie. I found that whole part of this movie a real nod to Blade Runner 2049, which hadn't even been made yet. So (laughs) um, this idea of, you know, this breaks the world. Right. Right. In right. in strange days, it's what is on that tape. Right. You know, this breaks the world. So do how do we handle that? Yeah. Do we bury it? Do we do we expose it? Do we like both of those are dangerous? Right. Um. So, yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting that it made this connection to a movie that had not even been made yet, but it certainly made a connection in my in my brain. Um, Is Julia Lewis – so I read the IMDb trivia for this movie, and one of the IMDb trivia facts is Julia Lewis on the tape, the roller skating tape at one point, she says to Lenny, dry me off. Yeah, it's – that is okay. a direct line from Blade Runner. Right, and that's what it said in the trivia, and I was like, I don't buy it. I mean, not that I don't buy that it's a direct line from Blade Runner, but I was like, there's no way they're just directly referencing Blade Runner, but maybe they are. I think they might be. The same, I mean, it's the same action, the same blocking, the way she crosses and tosses the towel at him is the same. Huh. Right? So, um, there are, and there are, if you watch Blade Runner and then watch Strange Days, there are a lot of echoes. And I don't find it derivative because I think it's being used to... I really do think it's being used to cast the near future into a far future. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. I It's... I think it's trying to get us to accept that what we're seeing is a dystopia, is a future, a possible future. Mm-hmm. Because because movies can't, sci-fi movies don't predict the future, right? They create a future and they ask us to accept it. And sometimes what's in those futures comes true. And so we say, oh, it predicted you know, virtual reality, it predicted, you know, this or that, but it, it didn't, it created it from when it was using, using speculation and best guess, but you can't just, you you can't just try to, you know, try to throw a ball and, and know where it lands. You can't, it's, it's, it's better to create a future that you think could happen than try to predict the future that will happen. I think it's, it's way more interesting to do the first and there's a lot of, you know, crossover there, but I think the movie did that in order to get us to accept that future that it shows us Mm -hmm. as possible. Yeah. It's, um, 
again, I, I think I made this point already, but so much of what it's quote unquote predicting or creating mm-hmm. is just the present of 1995 or the present of 1991 when Cameron first came up with the idea, right? Uh, because what is at the heart of this movie is civil unrest based on a power struggle in society where one class is being murdered by the police state. Yep. Um, Exactly. And that's true in 1991 and it's true in 1995 and it's true in 2021. And so watching it now feels so much more, it feels like it predicted it because you're watching it and you're saying, well, it's, this is exactly what came to pass. We saw the tape of George Floyd and there were riots in the streets and police were, you know, cracking people's heads. And, um, this is the, the officers were not held accountable. They escaped justice, you know? And, uh, but as, as you said, it's, it's really just creating out of what it already knows is true. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you can drive down in, you know, downtown LA. Well, I can't because I can't get there now. <laughs> but I've driven in downtown LA and I do not remember one time when I saw a car on fire in the middle of the street and everyone ignoring it. Right. So it is not actually that future that, that Strange Days creates is not the future that we lived. There are underpinnings, right, for sure. Right. But I think you could make the case that one thing Strange Days is saying is, why isn't it? Why are we all being like Lenny, pretending things are better than they are? How are we ever going to change things? And spoiler alert, we didn't. Right. Because here it is, 2021, and it's still fucking happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe there should be cars burning in the street. And that's a that level of chaos that is in this movie is terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the movie might be saying, why isn't it like this? Why isn't this our future? If we really want things to change, why do we keep pretending that they're better than they are? Right. Well, because... Uh it's safe and it's comfortable, right? It's, it's Lenny watching the roller skating video. Yep. Yep. We sort of retreat back to this idea of what things were instead of acknowledging what they are. Yep. Or the lawyer, you know, jacking into an experience of being an 18 year old girl in the shower. Is that what taking a shower is like? Constantly. Okay. See, The reveal that he's just taking a shower, I was like, really? (laughs) It's sensual. (laughs) It's liberating. It's life-affirming. How do you take a shower? Do you just, like, rub soap on yourself? I guess, yeah. Oh, no, man, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, no, this movie taught me many new things. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you suppose... I mean, I know it was kind of a box office failure, and I remember being out of my mind excited to see this movie, particularly after Roger Ebert gave it four stars. It was like, I saw a trailer, I was already super excited, and then he gave it four stars, and I was like, well, now I can't see this movie soon enough, and for some reason didn't get around to it 
until it hit, I think, the second run theater. Um, It was a failure at the time. It kind of put Catherine Bigelow a little bit in director jail. She has obviously come out with a vengeance and went on to win Best Director for The Hurt Locker and has made a, a handful of movies since then. But I don't feel like this movie is talked about that much. No. It, it no, remains no, no. kind of a cult phenomenon, if that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And just, I mean, you explaining how difficult it is to watch, or the fact that there's only one version. Like, look at Blade Runner is seven different versions. Mm. I mean, seven different accepted versions. Right, right. right. Um, and Do you, again, which, which, are you final cut are you team final cut for blade runner i'm team final cut that's okay. what my book is based on only because not only because and i liked i mean the i the movie the blade runner i fell in love with is original theatrical release i fell in love with it then so i have a big soft spot in my heart for that version as well but scott has gone on record as saying final cut is his favorite even more so than director's cut and that means a lot to me because I think it's dangerous. It's always an excellent idea to bring our own needs and thoughts and memories and experiences to art, but it is dangerous to use that as an excuse to remove the artist. Ah, yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that, so him going on record as saying that it's his favorite version is important to me, and also I think the ending is far superior. Okay. So... That's that. Um, See Blade Runner too, folks. Um, (laughs) But again, another movie that was not popular when it was first released, and clearly you will see its influence in Strange Days, became this this so influential, seminal piece of sci-fi dystopia. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Just for its look and its sound and its, its, uh, uh, its reliance on noir tropes. Um, all of which you see in Strange Days. So I was having this debate when I watched Kingdom of Heaven. I was like, I know I like Ridley Scott, but he has made a number of movies that either I'm not crazy about or just leave me cold. So then I was like, do I like Tony Scott better, mm. his brother? And Tony Scott has made a lot of movies I love, but no matter, at the end of the day, like Ridley Scott made Alien and Blade Runner. And that's not yeah. counting the number of other great movies that he made but he one the same person made alien and blade runner yeah yeah and and used parts of alien in blade right, runner because right. we were on a budget right um i think one thing about ridley scott is he is very very he's earned the right or demanded the right to have things his way right yeah which is great yeah and I think which was really important for Blade Runner to be what it is. But it also can go wrong in a way that makes some of the films not your favorite. Sure. That makes sense. That's that's my opinion on it. He's also made a lot of movies. And anybody who makes that many movies is going to have a few that we don't connect with, you know? Like, yeah. Because he works in a lot of different genres he's not just doing science fiction every time or not just doing drama every time he's made right a road movie and a comedy and a you know um 
anyway, we're talking about we're we're off topic talking about Ridley Scott. We're supposed to be talking <laughs> so, about Strange. Your original question: Why? Was... Yeah, why is this movie not better known, more talked about, uh, more widely loved? I think part of it is its timeline. Maybe um, I I think maybe um, it it was a it's a dystopian future that was obsolete only four years after it was made. And by obsolete, I don't mean obsolete as a piece of art. Right. I mean obsolete in that it passed Came to the pass, right, exactly. place. No so one I even think... says Y2K. Right. Do you, how old were you in Y2K? If you don't mind me asking. Y2K, I was 23. Okay. So I was a little older than that. And, but, but you were an adult. Like, it was a huge fucking deal. Oh, yeah. And literally nothing happened. Nope. <laughs> but you'll remember. But like, we all held our breath for a minute. Like, well, the lights are still on. Right? In that minute, you know, that we crossed over to midnight, it was like, what's going to happen? Oh, nothing? Okay. Pass the bread. Well, there were people who were building bunkers. Yes. And in some respects, I think that is also a little bit um endemic of our current times <laughs> too where there are people who are building bunkers and and storing you know turkey tetrazzini in the 25 gallon drum mm-hmm. because they think you know it's the end days um so yeah i think there's it's an interesting vibe that this movie is made in the future and one Thing that happens in the future that this movie creates is nothing. Right. Like that's something that they also got right <laughs> is that planes did not drop out of the sky. And if you were very young or not alive in 1999, it was literally on the news that they were telling us that planes might start dropping out of the sky. Yep. <laughs> so. But Strange Days was right. All we got was a lot of confetti. Right. And uh, not a tape of uh, Lenny rollerblading right. Julia in a very, very tiny bikini. Good Lord. Th- that made me nervous. <laughs> Just that she was out in public. Just, like, think, like of the, think of the little... potential scrapes. Right? I was. <laughs> I wa- like, what are those? Are those? Those aren't even socks you're wearing. There's some sort of sheer that will not protect you, Missy. She went on to have like a legitimate music career and toured, uh, I think, because of this movie. Like, I think, well, I think this movie sort of inspired her to go because it was fun to play rock star in this movie. Um, Yeah, I remember Juliet and the Licks coming to play Chicago. I never saw them, but. uh, No, me neither. I knew I knew she was, though. I, I wouldn't have been able to come up with that like you did, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she's, she, her two numbers are, they're both PJ Harvey songs and they're really great and she performs them very well. Yeah. Yeah, she does. And like you said, it's not, she's not just up there strumming a guitar. She's doing a whole rock star thing. Yeah. So good that she gets what she wanted. (laughs) I believe that's the message of the movie. Yeah, that is. She got what she wanted, (laughs) but Again, it's that moral question of right. who do you have to be? Right. Who are you willing to be in order to get what you think you want? 
There's a lot going on in this movie. There really is. That's what makes it so fun. Yeah. But you know what? It's also fun if you're not looking for a movie where there's a lot going on or if you just want kind of a cool, futury, dystopian action kind of thing going on, action war. Um, I think it would be fun on that level, too. Yeah, although I would argue that the events of the last two years or so have made it pretty impossible to just enjoy it as entertainment. It depends on how much you've been paying attention to the events of the last maybe. two yeah, years, maybe. I think. And as weird as it sounds to maybe you and I, uh, I think there are people who have not been paying attention. <laughs> There's always going to be people who have not been paying attention or who don't take it seriously. I think that's another thing that this movie is, is saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy but, to not pay attention. But yeah, I I always think it's I always think it's more fun to be able to watch a movie that you can talk about for days and disagree about yeah. and then and then later like you're talking about like what you need from the target and randomly one of you will say to the other person, "Oh, another thing about that movie." <laughs> That happens to us all the time. Oh, and by the way, I was thinking of this movie we watched together two weeks ago, and one more thing I wanted to say. <laughs> See, I've been robbed of that a little bit because I always have to talk about movies on a podcast, and so yeah. a lot of times Erica and I won't talk about them after we watch them. Like, Or, or it's also – and she brought this up. She said, you know, I realized um, she was listening to me talk about some movie – on a show and she said I, you never said any of that to me like we never talked about that movie <laughs> and i said well a it's because i knew i had to talk about it on a podcast but also b we're at the point now where we've been together you know 20 years plus and i just assume cool. we react the same to art which is completely unfair but like a movie <laughs> ended and i was like i know how it, it was the little things that movie with denzel mm -hmm. washington it ended and i was like surely we were on the same page about that and so we didn't even bother having a conversation about it when we absolutely could have. We would have discovered, yes, we were on the same page, but I just <laughs> assumed it because we've been together so long that we are, you know, kind of in step with one another. Um, I totally get that. John and I have been married for 30 plus years. Talking about movies is still one thing we love to do together, although I will also admit that he there have been times when he has said, I want to save it for the podcast. Right. <laughs> It's hard, you know? Yep. And then he'll come like into the kitchen where I'm baking something and find that I am listening to your podcast with him <laughs> and um, enjoying it. Oh, I will quickly run out of the room if I find Erica listening to the podcast <laughs> or ask her to like pause it or something because I can't handle hearing it. Yeah. Oh, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, anything else about Strange Days? Um... I no, no, I think we covered everything. All right. Uh, uh, Angela Bassett's gorgeous and kicks ass. Yes. Great kind of character actors in the background throughout this whole thing. Um, yeah, the cast really is stacked. Really interesting movie. Huh? The cast is stacked. It totally is, man. Cast is stacked. <laughs> Gonna get jacked. <laughs> That's a fact. Nice. Oh, this is the advantage of having a poet on the podcast because all poetry <laughs> rhymes. It should. <laughs> if it's good. Ooh, you did it! <laughs> <laughs> 
Call me Jericho One, baby. Um, yes. Uh, what else would we call you? Jericho One. <laughs> but even that, like, I, okay, again, with the names and James Cameron, I'm like, Jericho, the walls are tumbling down, man. Right. Like, yeah, yeah we get yeah. it. <laughs> it's, James... not, it's not a bad name. But... Sometimes James Cameron makes it hard to love James Cameron. I still manage to do it because yep. when I think about the movies that he's made, again, with Ridley Scott, it's just like... But he made the Terminator and Terminator mm -hmm. Two and Aliens. Like the same person made those movies. Yep. Um, so I can never not love James Cameron. But yeah, there's stuff. Yep. That he does that makes it a little trickier. Yeah, anyway, but still, Strange Days, check it out. Strange Days, check it out if you can. Uh, order the German Blu-ray <laughs> if you can. <laughs> it's on eBay. <laughs> Um, but thank you guys very much for listening. Remember to go to fthismovie.com and look up uh, the information about F This Movie Fest coming up on March 6th. It's going to be so fun! It is. It's going to be here before we know it. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for talking about this movie with me, Jan. It was super fun. This has been awesome. Thank you for inviting me and thank you to everyone listening. And that's it. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.